live from the District of Columbia. You are listening to the Black Fundraisers Podcast, a weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips black fundraisers to excel and positively impact black communities with your host, Kia Kroon. Good day, good people. It's your girl, Kia Kroon, and I am the founder and host of the Black Fundraisers Podcast, your weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips Black fundraisers to positively impact Black communities. Man, I want to thank you for tuning in. And if you're new here, let me be the first to welcome you into a growing global community of listeners. As I often say, I know you could be anywhere in the world in these internet streets. So I really appreciate you for tuning in. I want to encourage you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling particularly fancy, don't forget to stop by wherever you get podcasts and leave a review so that we can signal to the podcast world that this is culturally relevant content. I encourage you to connect with me on social media or visit me via my website at www.kiacroom.com to see what a sister has been up to in the nonprofit and philanthropy world. So, good people. Last week, we kicked in the door for Black History Month with our special Black History Month-themed programming in which we are celebrating Black resistance. And we're keeping the party going today and all month long. Why? Because we can. (laughs) Simply put, because we can, because we have a tremendous amount of pride and just want to honor our legacy of philanthropy. Philanthropy runs so deep in the Black community, and I'm going to keep sounding off and keep talking about it until mainstream philanthropy gets it. So without further ado, as I said, we're keeping the party going. Today we have a very special guest. I am joined by Dr. Tyrone McKinley Freeman, and he's the Associate Professor of Philanthropic Studies at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, as well as the Director of Undergraduate Programs at Indiana University. Dr. Freeman recently published a book entitled Madam C.J. Walker's Gospel of Giving, Black Women's Philanthropy During Jim Crow. He has stopped by the Black Fundraisers podcast to share a few teasers from the book and his inspiration for it. He even spit a few bars in the bonus round, (laughs) which is a first in the Black Fundraisers podcast history. And guess what? We're here for it. I'm certain you will love this discussion. So please stand by as I bring Dr. Freeman to the Black Fundraisers podcast virtual stage. All right, Dr. Tyrone McKinley Freeman, welcome to the Black Fundraisers Podcast. How are you this morning, my good friend? I'm doing well, Kia. Thanks so much for having me today. Thanks for joining us. The theme of our Black History Month program is Black Resistance. The story of Madam C.J. Walker is 
one that I don't claim to, you know, know from front to back, but what I have learned of Madam C.J. Walker and her philanthropy, her affinity for philanthropy, some of the causes she contributed to, the, not just the entrepreneurial legacy that we often hear about and, and get an abbreviated lesson in, but when we really take a close look at you know, who this phenomenal woman was and what she lived for and stood for, there are so many lessons that can be learned. And I really think that it's a testament to Black resistance. So, be, But before we get into all of that, Dr. Freeman, I'd like for you to tell us a little known and fun fact about Dr. Freeman. I'm a huge New Edition fan. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I, uh, you know, big fan of New Edition. Down since 80, all the real Emmy for life is know what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, but that, that's one of my favorite groups. So always up in the show whenever they come through. So that's a little, little known fact. <laughs> no kidding. I am a huge New Edition fan. And I got to tell you, I think that they actually have a show coming up in D.C. in about a month. <clears throat> but with this Omicron, I've been really on the fence about whether or not a sister needs to be in the midst. You know, as they say in the black church, I don't know if I need to be a part of those festivities, which would really break my heart. I know. I understand. And, I, and they're supposed to be getting ready for a, a residency in Vegas uh, either later this year or next year. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> Hopefully things will be called by then. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I had no idea. Well, I'm going to keep my eye lifted for that. But yes, a fellow new edition fan. That is a fun and interesting little known fact. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to yeah. go there. I want to dive right in. You have authored what is a gorgeous book. I mean, the contents are one thing, but, you know, just to behold the cover and how it's packaged, this beautiful image that we often see in black and white of Madam C.J. Walker in living color. Absolutely beautiful. And the book is entitled Madam C.J. Walker's Gospel of Giving. Black women's philanthropy during Jim Crow. And I've got to tell you, you've heard the expression, you had me at hello. Well, Dr. <laughs> Freeman, you had me at the dedication. Well, you really had me at the cover. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you had me at the cover. But then when I peeled the uh, layer of the onion back and read the dedication, it immediately grabbed me. And I want to quickly tell you why and get to the question. You devoted this book to all the generous church women, club women, educators, philanthropists. I took that to me, and this is just key is speaking here, but I took that to mean that you devoted this book to those unsung ordinary women, particularly black women who serve as activists and philanthropists in our community yet are not the conventional face of philanthropy. And we know, being Black folk, philanthropy and fundraising is really second nature to us. It runs deep. I believe it's in our DNA, and it's not just what we do. I believe it's who we be. And we've always been serious about the business of resourcing our communities. But anyway, don't get me started. It's too early. But I read that 
as a rebuke on patriarchy. I did. I read that as a rebuke on patriarchy that I'm completely here for. And with that said, I'd like for you to take a moment and share why this book and why was it important for you to pin it when you did? Well, thank you. No, I mean, you picked right up on it. Uh, I definitely I dedicated it to the, the women in my life who I knew uh, represented this tradition. My mother, my grandmothers, my aunts, my wife, my daughter, my, you know, the women in my family who've been generous to the core uh, and yet don't think of themselves as philanthropists, don't even use that word. And yet they're, they're representative of the ways in which women have held us up across the struggle. And so um, that was really my entree into it because I was raised in the Black church, um, son, grandson, nephew and cousin of Black Baptist preachers, ladies, and so grew up in that tradition, and it was all around me, and yet, as a fundraiser and later as a PhD student in philanthropy, I'm in these spaces that don't get it. I was in these spaces that didn't understand that Black people give uh, and always have, and as you said, it's who we be, right? And so that was a big source of frustration for me because the tradition produced me, and yet these professional spaces were basically ignoring it or not seeing it, not understanding it. So that's really what drove me. I wanted to do something that would be relevant. I wanted to do something that would bring forward our history in a way that we would recognize it, but also be excited and inspired by it and can give from that history and know that we are not new to this. We are true to this and is what has sustained us from the beginning, from the moment we stepped foot on these shores. And so um, that, that's a big part. It, it directly comes out of that personal experience, both in growing up in the tradition, but also being um, an African-American in the predominantly white profession of fundraising and not seeing that, not, not seeing that understood, valued, or, or properly engaged. So I commend that and think that it's of critical importance. I would be lying if I sat here and said that my experience has been any different than yours. I've been working in philanthropy and nonprofit administration and fundraising for 20 years. I can't even believe that I'm saying that, but it's been 20 years going on 21 years and have found that to be true, that uh, it's, it's not celebrated. It's that deep intrinsic legacy of giving and love of community that real love of humankind, of mankind. And I, too, learn those lessons within community, within family, whether somebody was getting ready to go to college or a university, that first-generation college student that broke through intergenerational poverty. And you've got, you know, a couple of women in the church or a couple of matriarchs in the family that are thinking about how we're going to get this individual through and taking up that collection and giving. That's what I come from, people that lean in and take care of folks. So I always applaud and celebrate, and I double down and will continue to double down to lift these lessons up. So thank you for this wonderful contribution to that canon and that lifting up that notion of, of black excellence in philanthropy it does extend through philanthropy and we've created those trends those traditions 
Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, they're, they're alive and well, and they've sustained us. You know, I mean, I have fond memories of, of the old folks in church singing songs like you can't be God given no matter how hard you try. Right. And, and all the traditions around that. And then, you know, again, people in the neighborhood looking after all the kids as if they were their kids. Right. And so, again, this is the lifeblood of the community. I'm excited by the ways in which uh, we are embracing the term. We're making it our own. Right. And, and we're showing right our deep connectedness to it and, and celebrating it as we do it every day. Thank you. And it takes voices like ours to do it, right? To keep it a topic of discussion. I want to again quote you, Dr. Freeman, in the book you wrote, focusing solely on the monetary value of a philanthropic gift reinforces the notion that African-Americans have a tradition of being help, but not a tradition of helping. Lots there. Please take a moment to unpack. That was a power blow. I felt that. It goes back to this idea that, you know, Black people are problems to be solved and that the way the history has been told, it's always been about what others were doing to or for us. But when you look at it from our lens, from our community, you can see that we were giving and engaging in so many different ways. And so I wanted to lift that up and push back against this idea that we are only recipients, only always struggle, only always needing help from outside. And that philanthropy is something that white folks do to black folks. I wanted to con- you know, counteract that history and say, no, you know, acts what these traditions go way back. Um, they're, they're represented in everyday life. Um, it didn't matter how much money you did have or didn't have. This tradition believes any and everyone can give. And in fact, should give because all we have is each other. And so sharing those resources is an important part of that. And so the book gave me a chance to see that in Madam Walker's life and the women around her and the communities that she was a part of. And that really gave me a deeper sense of how deeply rooted this is in our history. Thank you for that. Being solutions architects, not only being contributors, but being brave enough to create solutions to the issues plaguing our communities, many of which are created and manufactured and intended to harm the Black community and communities of color. Having the courage and audacity to look at those issues and create a resolution for them. That's what I'm probably most proud of when I think about Black philanthropy and I think about resistance. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I was going to say thank you for, for, for sharing that, because, again, you know, one of the things I point out in the book, you know, in 1909, W.E.B. Du Bois published a national study on black philanthropy. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he goes back several decades in documenting our organizations, our traditions of giving, volunteering, activism. So, again, these things are deeply rooted. They're there. And so, you know, one of one of the contributions I hope to make is to better connect folks to this history and, and to make it alive and well and feel real in today's context. So that, again, we can draw strength from it to inform the work we do every day on the ground in our organizations, in our families and in the community. That's beautiful. And I see this book is doing just what you intended it to do in that respect. So thank you. I want to share just a couple of things that I love about the book. For one, I shared that I think it was absolutely beautiful. You did not spare in just pure visual appeal. And 
I don't want to get too far in and give too many deets away for the good people listening. Good people, you want the deets, you got to buy. So I will be sharing. <laughs> you know me on here, good people. I will be sharing the link so that you can like and buy and support this wonderful work. But seriously, I just want to share. I love how the book characterizes and even humanizes Madam C.J. Walker in a way that I've not seen before. And I really hate to have to put it in those terms. But we know, I'm going to be honest, we know that her narrative has really been erased from history. I feel like patriarchy celebrates the capitalistic aspects and nature of her legacy, but not so much her activism and impact. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say you know, I had to learn, I had the pleasure, I should say, of learning that in reading this book, right? So good people, you know, there are, there's a great deal that you, if you're like me, will probably learn in reading this wonderful book. And I love how the book nuances Madam C.J. Walker's lived experience and contributions, uh, legacy of giving from her origins in the AME church to her personal philanthropic priorities. For example, readers will learn that she was truly passionate about giving to causes benefiting women and girls. In fact, I read in your book and was not aware prior how she had earmarked funds in her estate for female friends with signs, which demonstrates her empathy for black women raising boys and young black men. And we know your book, just from the perspective of what was going on then, we know what was happening post-Reconstruction, Jim Crow, where you have the black codes and these all-out war on just living and navigating as a black person. So with all that being said, what's something else readers can look forward to learning about Madam C.J. Walker and leaning into this book? There's several things. So one, I try to put Madam Walker into the context of the communities that produced her. Because when we refer to her as a millionaire, we tend to kind of put her on this pedestal by herself. But she came from specific communities and there were generous women around her. And so I point out who those women were and how she would have learned and, and connected with them to be kind of socialized into giving um, and learning. She was an orphan, right? Usually our parents teach us how to give, right? But she didn't have that benefit. But these women around her kind of become surrogates in that fashion. So you kind of get to see how philanthropy evolves across her lifetime as, as, a, as a young mother who begins giving and continues to expand. The other thing that I lift up is that she was an educator. Many people don't know this, but she had a national network of beauty schools around the country, um, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Chicago, Dallas. And she was providing a very valued credential um, that enabled black women and some black men, right, to start careers, to become breadwinners for their family, but also to engage in the struggle through activism. So I take you through her curriculum and the things that she was teaching people too. So, so I kind of expand our notion of who she was, but use that again as a window into the culture of giving that was all around her. Uh, so it's, it's her story, but it's also our collective story of the evolution of Black philanthropy in America. This experience when your book has been very enlightening, and I'm so grateful, and I know there are people listening who will appreciate 
this window that you've provided that really shares her origins and what about her construct, her lived experience, really cultivated this deep commitment to education and entrepreneurship, and I would even argue social justice, someone wanting to create a legacy by inspiring a generation of entrepreneurs and professionals, I would argue. What a way to clap back on economic injustice. As I'm thinking about this, as I'm talking through this, like what a clap back. Yeah. And it comes out of her lived experience. As I say in the book, every gift she made was one she once needed herself. So she knew the struggle. So she supported education because, you know, Jim Crow denied her a formal education. Right. She supported organizations run by black women providing social services like child care services and caring for the elderly because she was a, a poor, orphaned, widowed young mother who needed help to take care of her daughter. So she knew firsthand what was going on. And as a black woman experiencing Jim Crow, right, she had this experience and this knowledge of what that meant and how that affected her. He wanted to provide opportunities for other women and to uplift the community along the way. And so you see her empowering other women by becoming a Walker agent, becoming engaged in activism, fighting against lynching, supporting women's voting rights. As a matter of course, everyday life, this wasn't something special that she waited to do after she became successful or whenever she had extra time or extra money, these were fundamental aspects of daily life. It's just what she did and what people around her were doing. And so reclaiming that and again, using that to reframe our understanding of Madam Walker and by extension to understand again how our own culture of giving has evolved um, across American history is very important here. And one of the things too, I point out is that this isn't a story about money. The money for her comes later. Each chapter in the book is named for a different kind of gift that she gave. And only one is, is one of those chapters is about money. Because in this tradition of Black philanthropy, you don't have to be rich. You just have to be willing to give and be connected to others. And so we see her using her voice to fight at, you know, the, the issues of the day. We see her providing economic opportunities through her business, very much in the form of what we would call social entrepreneurship today. You know, she was doing that a hundred years before that became the buzzword that it is today. One, I also hope it, it, it connects people to the different ways that they can engage now with whatever they have, because the need is so great. The struggle continues. Um, and there's something that each and every one of us can contribute to it. Beautifully stated. I have to react to a couple of things that you said here that really raised a couple of hairs in a really positive, very touching way. You said a moment ago, the gift she gave, every gift she gave was a gift that she needed. And that deeply, deeply resonated with me. When I think about what would a black woman in her time need? And even with this added context around her lived experiences have been an orphan, not in such a way that we feel sorry for a person or adopt a position, a posture of um, pity, right? But just really centering on her lived experience, how that shaped her and how she was using her voice, 
uh, she was putting everything on the line, like society seems to just be coming on to, catching on to, and learning that Black women do that. We put it all on the line in the name of community, in the name of family, in the name of what's right. And I would argue that Madam C.J. Walker, based on what you've shared, based on her life, her legacy, what she was doing, she was promulgating in operationalizing what we call today racial justice, right? What she was doing, she was doing in the name of justice. It wasn't about equity. It was about justice and remediating the structural harms that were being done, that we're still dealing with the residue and remnants of today. We're still dealing with Jim Crow. We're seeing that it's people that are slowly coming to terms with how that's playing out in situations around voter disenfranchisement and suppression, for instance. We're seeing that play out every day and still fighting some of these battles. So I just wanted to lift up and encourage whoever might be listening that is fighting this same fight, the co-conspirators that are listening, that that legacy, that Madam C.J. Walker, that rich legacy, that intrinsic desire and need to make a difference. You've got the spirit, that spirit on you. If you're like me and you get up every day doing this work for the same reasons, the same motivations for the betterment of your community, that's something to celebrate. Yes. And that's part of what I wanted to highlight, too, because Madam Walker also talked about the joy of giving um, and the ways in which right, it affected her in a positive way to be contributing and investing in others. I see that joy in giving circles, posting pictures on social media and saying, I am a philanthropist. Right. And, and to see that, you know, the, the next generation stepping into social movements and continuing that struggle. There's there's a lot of pain there, but there also is this joy that's a part of our history, too, of being connected of helping others, of sharing what little you may have to make life better for others. Madam Walker was about celebrating that kind of giving as well. Um, and, and so there's there's another lesson about it. And she was doing this at a time when, you know, leading other philanthropists of the era were saying philanthropy was too emotional. Uh, it was too impulsive, right? It should be more scientific and more uh, distanced and removed. And yet Madam Walker was in deep relationship with the organizations and the women that she supported, which, which again speaks by volumes to a different way she interacted with people um, and the ways in which she used her resources to try to try to engage in, in the struggle. No, I hear you. And I and I thank you for that and for joining me. This conversation has me feeling really, really full. I'm so glad that we're having it. Mm, thank Dr. You. Freeman, we've arrived at the bonus segment of the discussion. Okay. And here we are in Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really important to just uplift and celebrate Black resistance. And I feel like Black mm -hmm. resistance has manifested itself in so many ways throughout our journey uh, in America, from the mothers of the continent uh, hiding rice grains in their cornrows during the transatlantic slave trade to yes. young people being seasoned and prepared to go and sit in at lunch counters to contributions that we make and how we inform and shape philanthropy. And there's something that just keeps resting on my shoulders mm. that likens Black philanthropy and resistance. Can we just talk 
a little bit about black philanthropy in re, in and resistance or is black philanthropy resistance simply put i love your thoughts on the connection between those two themes yeah no it's a great question black philanthropy is indeed a form of resistance but it's also more than that. So it has been very important part of our struggle from slavery through Jim Crow to today, as, as you noted earlier, it's how we survived, it's how we looked after each other, and, and it's, it's, it's been shaped by our experience in America. So African-American philanthropy is definitely shaped by those experiences and that political and social context. We had to rely upon each other. We had to start our own organizations because the, the government was not only conspiring against us through slavery and Jim Crow, but so was the private sector. And so was our own beloved nonprofit sector, right? It wasn't just schools that wouldn't take us. It was hospitals, social service agencies. They wouldn't accept, you know, black elderly or black children, right? So we had to create our own, right? And so this definitely is a form of resistance. When Madam Walker creates this business, she's thumbing her at Jim Crow. When she builds a 34-room mansion in an exclusive white neighborhood, she's thumbing her nose at Jim Crow. So it is definitely resistance. But the other thing that I point out in this book, and I think it's so important, that it is so much more than that because Black philanthropy has its origins in pre-colonial Western Africa, which means it's bigger than the absurdities of our American experience. It is something that traveled across the Atlantic along with those rice grains inside our ancestors. And they brought traditions of giving and caring and sharing and generosity with them. And they used that to build community on those plantations um, and in the free black communities in the North, right? So these traditions run deep. Uh, and so they definitely have been shaped by the experiences in America, but that's not where they begin. And that speaks to our own deeper humanity, dignity, integrity, and generosity, and something that I try to lift up in this book as well. Listen, I am on fire talking to you, Dr. Dr. Freeman. I am on fire. Sign me up for one of those courses. If you're still in the business of educating at the Lilly School, I am on fire right now. Thank you for that. And thank you for lifting up what I believe to be true, just the resilience of Black philanthropy, having survived and beat the Middle Passage and the transatlantic slave trade. Like you say, building on those rich traditions and creating community in a newfound land that was not kind to us. Yes. Yes, I say in the book that the history of African-American philanthropy is a search for hospitality in a land of hostility. And, and that speaks again to this. We were not supposed to survive. We were not supposed to make it through all this. But that generosity is one of those threads that kept us going. And so it's important to connect that um, and allow to inform today's struggles, just as it did for our ancestors and past generations. And since we're talking about Black philanthropy, I'd love it. If you could cite or identify some instances of philanthropy in hip hop, I love how rappers interweave philanthropy and activism in their music. Feel free to give us a hip hop song or two that speaks to philanthropy. If you can recite your favorite lyrics or bars or just point us in the right direction, whatever you have for us on black philanthropy and hip hop or rap. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a fun question because, I mean, it is all around us, right? I mean, uh, Megan the, the Stallion um, has funded scholarships, right, for Black women to, to go to college, and she's leading by example. She just got her degree at the end of last year, right? Cardi B was recently acknowledged by the mayor of New York City for paying the funeral expenses for those 17 families devastated by that fire in the Bronx earlier this year at the beginning of January, right? And so these things are constantly happening. But one of the things I like to point out, uh, there's so many philanthropic traditions within hip-hop and it starts with the entourage i mean right rappers are known for having big entourages and outwardly it can look strange but when you get you know when you know the story those are their friends and family from around the way right who they know are safer on the road with them than back on the corner or back in the neighborhood and they're, they're traveling the world with them trying to open their horizons and it speaks to those traditions of mutual aid and and hooking people up and supporting each other and giving them opportunities because they have a lot of talent, but not the, the avenues to explore them. I mean, Jay-Z has said this about Beanie Siegel and others that he took with him to travel. Um, you know, I just finished reading um, Will Smith's memoir, uh, Will. And, and, you know, of course, he and Jada have a foundation. But some of the things, and he doesn't talk about that in the book, but he does mention how when he was in Mozambique shooting the Ali movie, um, he befriended a young local brother there um, who was really excited and, and wanted to come to America. And Will said, hey, when, when you come to America, look me up. And I got you. And that brother did come to America. He contacted Will. Will and his people hooked him up, gave him housing, and they invested in a business for him. And, and then he, he ran that business for several years and then went back to Africa. And now his business is thriving and he's building and, and doing jobs over there in Africa. And Will is still an investor, right? And so it speaks to, again, these traditions of giving, looking after people. You know, kind of the most extreme examples, MC Hammer, right? MC Hammer used to have like 30 people on the stage with him, but he was paying for that, right? weren't and he went broke doing it right so it speaks to that commitment and those relationships and and you know and, and, and will says in his book that you know his, his neighborhood friends are his key advisors to this day the, the big drug dealer in the neighborhood is his head of security right you know his his best friend is the guy who does his contracts because they all started when they were teenagers so they've been able to build something so i think you see these traditions and some of the unsuspecting in hip-hop and also in their their more intentional and, and public acts of giving as far as a song goes you know I'm, I'm i'm old school so i you know groups like uh you know queen latifah public enemy Pup, boogie down productions those are the ones that spoke to me growing up and and ray tried to raise our consciousness and and um you know inspire me in terms of education and knowing our history i mean you used to see pictures of marcus garvey or harriet tubman in their rules and things like that if i would lift up a song i, I would go to X-Clan. That was one of my favorite groups. <laughs> um, you know, the Grand Verbalizer, Brother Jay, right? <laughs> Funkin' Lesson, right? I'm a professor today. I'm all about education. And, and here were these brothers and sisters who were dressed in all black. They had African medallions and, and beads and, and, and staffs, and they wanted you to know your history, and they wanted you in the streets, speaking truth to power. And so Funkin' Lesson is one of my favorite songs from then. So if I were to say something, I would say, I wear boots and beads, bags and braids, stick and scroll, rings and shades, walk in the light of the moon, but I've never been a Batman, African, call it black man. Brother, extract your African steps in your movement, enhance for improvement, grand funk, new home for these, funk and lesson, the pathway. Yes, <laughs> you did that. <laughs> you did. Those are really important contributions to hip hop. And I have fond memories of those images and that consciousness 
So thank you for lifting that up. And thank you for that. I think you just set a precedent now coming with the bars on the Black Fundraisers podcast. <laughs> this is the first, good people. And it was good. Uh-oh. You got down. You got down with that. That's a great question. So thank you. But you're right. No, I mean, that music spoke in very powerful ways. And, you know, we not only wore the African medallions and the clothing, we would then go read Malcolm X's speeches or, you know, watch those documentaries and try to get close to that history, right? See what it means for us today. You know, um, you know, today, you know, this generation has Trayvon Martin. My generation had uh, Yousef Hawkins, right? You know, today there's Breonna Taylor. For us, it was Eleanor Bumpers, a one Black woman who was killed in New York City by police. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the, the struggle continues, unfortunately, but our culture also continues. Resistance also continues. It is a big, big threat and strain of that. I sure thank you for reflecting with me and humoring me and going down hip hop memory lane to lift up Black philanthropy <laughs> in our communities. It's a beautiful thing. And just thank you for joining me, good people. Know that I will be sharing the link to the book, Mr. Freeman's bio and photo and all of that good stuff. Connect with him via LinkedIn. I connect. I connected with him on LinkedIn and follow the brother. And yeah, he speaks truth to power. He's got a lot to say. And I just want to ask you in parting, if you have any last words you want to share with the good people listening. Thank you for what you're doing and raising your voice on behalf of the field and again on behalf of this tradition, providing a spotlight and opportunity to tell diverse stories about fundraising and philanthropy, right? And to help change that narrative. I think this is important. So I would just say philanthropy is our human heritage. It's not something that belongs only to the wealthiest among us. It's not something that only belongs to to white Americans. It's something that belongs to all of us. With what we have right now, we don't have to wait until some later time or some later success. We have in us what we need to, to be helpful to others and to move the needle on the struggle because the baton has clearly been passed to us. And so, uh, again, I would just say give from the strength of this history. And again, I'm very appreciative of, of all that you're doing, Kia. So keep on doing your thing. Thank you. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I appreciate that. And good people listening, What can I say? Check out this wonderful book. I encourage you. I made my way through the book during a much needed holiday break. And my heart is full. My heart is full from this discussion. And good people, I hope that you are enjoying Black History Month. And just take a moment and center on Black resistance. Take a moment and close out all that's going wrong in society, all that we're hearing and seeing play out in the news in the way of inequities and indignations and center on resistance and how you're personally making a difference every day. Because I think that that's what it takes. I think that it's going to take ordinary people committed to the greater good. And I'm so glad to be in the fight right alongside you. Um, You know, my wonderful co-conspirators, consider me one, um, soldiering on for justice, racial justice for black and brown communities. So until next time, good people, stay tuned, stay down and keep your head up. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Black Fundraisers podcast. Like what you're hearing. Subscribe to the Black Fundraisers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. 
and leave a five-star review. Connect with Kia on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter to stay connected.